and welcome to the very latest episode of Letters from the Edge. My name is Marcus, and it's great to be back. Thank you for tuning in if you have been uh, for the last two episodes. I apologize that this one's a little bit late. Long story short, had a uh, job, a writing job come up that I was promptly fired from only to find out that it was basically a scam and I wasted a whole week at work for them to get a free article out of me during quote-unquote training and now uh, I'm back, I'm behind with the release of the podcast. So apologies for that, guys. Yeah, we won't be making that mistake any anytime again soon. And speaking of, that is the topic for today. Well, it's kind of somewhat related to uh, jobs and stuff. It's uh, money. Money matters is a huge, huge thing um, when it comes to bipolar in how it relates to impulsivity and uh, all that. So yeah, it's a, this one's a difficult one for me to talk about because it's something that's affecting me even as we speak. Um, I am trying to fix it and I do the best I can, but unfortunately bipolar does create a bit of an obstacle. And yeah, like even when things are good, it, it's still difficult. It's still something you got to remain eternally vigilant with. So uh, look, my history with money has never been particularly good. You know, growing up, I grew up with a single mother for many, many years until I was 15. And, you know, she was pretty stringent with her money. I mean, she had a fairly small income, I guess, you know, doing her job. And, um, you know, even though she was very stringent and, and was trying to teach me how to save, I don't feel like she actually taught me any real methods for saving. And it just sort of, I guess, feeling like we were always stringent, kind of not knowing that bipolar would be eventually in my future. Um, I didn't really, you know, I kind of resented the fact that we had to kind of never spend money and never get to enjoy our money, you know, just for these big, far off things like holidays and stuff. And, you know, um, on the other hand, my other parent, you know, they were a lot more free with money when I moved with them at 15, but there was a lot of running into debt and a lot of constant reshuffling with accounts and stuff like that. So I feel like, you know, this, the, the beginning of this story was already off to a bit of a rocky start and I'm not, you know, I'm not blaming them. I'm not judging them. That is just how things are. And, that's just different values. I know for myself, I probably take more after my father in the sense that we don't really value cash is so much as what it can do for us and what doorways it can open. Um, and that unfortunately, you know, that you can tell that I haven't valued it because of how cavalier I've been with it at times. So yeah, this basic setup, you know, kind of created something of a disaster once bipolar really kicked off. And for those of you who don't really realize, apparently bipolar really presents, unless it's an early onset bipolar, which is fairly rare, uh, but it does kick off somewhere in the early to mid 20s. And I know in hindsight, that's where a lot of it started for me is my early 20s, you know, not making a lot of money, but still spending like no tomorrow, making bad choices. I, I can only think about how in hindsight, my bipolar probably influenced my spending, you know. I'm a bit of a social butterfly. I get out there and... Oh, God, I hate that term, social butterfly. It's got to be a better word, like, you know, I don't know. Social bat, I don't know. Let's, anyway, you know, but I've... You know, I get along with people really easily. I make friends quite easily, even if they figure out, fuck, this guy's a bit much after a while. So, you know, in my early 20s, I was going out all the time, going to rave clubs and then back to emo clubs and stuff like that. You know, I was kind of everyone's friend. I was really generous, almost to the point of a fault. And I was really short-sighted, you know. I was working at Starbucks making working 36 hours a week and making like barely six hundred dollars and I was fucking 
blowing it that whole weekend, pretty much. The day I, minute I got it, it was gone. I was buying shots and drinks for everyone. And, you know, I was having fun. And, I mean, that's what your young years are for, making mistakes and having fun. But it definitely set a pattern. And, you know, when I think now, now that I know I have bipolar, um, and that was part of the equation probably back then, undiagnosed, it's hard to say how much of that was... I mean, it was probably largely influenced by that. But unfortunately, once you set those patterns, once you start to normalize those behavioral pathways in your brain, then yeah, it, it starts to snowball from there. In particular, you know, owing friends money um, and owing, you know, money in general. Like I've, over the years, you know, I've taken credit cards and, you know, a lot of that was for necessities, but then, you know, you pay a bit off and then you pay, you spend a bit more and it kind of just keeps going one foot, uh, one foot Sorry, one step back, two step, uh, one, <laughs> I can't even say it, two steps forward, one step back, or you might take one step forward and two steps back. And I mean, that's definitely true in the last couple of years for me. You, you try, you feel like a, like the whole money thing really makes you feel like a loser um, when you're just constantly going through this cycle. And um, because there's a lot of emotional attachment and a lot of uh, self value or devaluation placed upon financial situation, whether we realize it or not. It's got may, may have nothing to do with how you compare your, your life to somebody else's. It's purely like, you know, that whole idea of the haves and the have-nots. You know, and that the fucked up thing is I've always had a job, even, even a, a shit job. I've always had at least one job and almost never been on welfare in my, most of my life. But yeah, even so, you know, I've made bad de- uh, bad decisions trying to fix my debt and, you know, just, yeah. Um, so, you know, that was my whole early 20s, mid-20s. And then when I got married, uh, got into a relationship and then got married eventually a few years later, you know, it almost like the problems eased off. And they didn't actually really ease off. They, they became a little easier to manage, almost hidden from view, because... You know, my ex was a lot better with managing money than me, even though we, I mean, we were pretty free and, you know, spent our money fairly, fairly liberally, but because I was doing a lot of the spending and a lot of it was well-intended, um, like buying gifts for, you know, extravagant gifts for my friends, um, mainly my ex-partner and my kids, you know, uh, and not just for their birthdays or Christmas, it was just kind of, you know, all the time. It made me feel good. There's an emotional reaction when you not only receive things, but give things, you know. Money to me is just a means to an end. And so I went a bit nuts with it. My impulsive side often won. And it was, you know, my ex put up a lot, put up with a lot of shit from me in that respect. I mean, I did it with the best of intentions. I was trying to make my my family happy. And, you know, I, I don't think it was until much later that the emotional repercussions, you know, really sort of took a toll on the relationship and and that. So, you know, but because of the combined income and, you know, someone else helping you manage it, you kind of, it's easier to go nuts. You know, you almost become a little bit like, oh, it's okay, you know, someone else. It's not even that someone else will cover for you. It's just that you, you know, one person's shit with money, not both people. So it's sort of easier to deal with, especially when you've got the double income. Now, post-married life, I've been divorced for, uh, we're coming up to, well, this year will be coming up to two years. I'll be out of the, I will have been out of the relationship for almost three, no, two. I, I don't even fucking know anymore. 
Um, it's been a while though, and you know I've become really self-reliant for the most part. Um, there is less money coming in. Um, obviously, my job. I work in retail, it doesn't make a lot of money, and initially my cha- spending habits didn't quite change. Now, to be fair, a lot of that was rebuying stuff, setting up my home, making sure my kids you know, were set up and had their rooms, and you know, the kitchen had utensils and all that sort of shit. Even after that, once things settled down, you know, I sort of was spending a little bit larger than I really could afford, and it took me a little while to get the hang of that, you know. Now... Unfortunately, I was still carrying a lot of debt from 10 years ago. I mean, the, the main debt stuff. I never actually owned a credit card, thank fuck, until I was um, well into my 20s and I was work uh, actually personal training for a couple of years. And when I was setting up trying to work the business from home, I bought all this equipment and everything. And we did that on credit thinking we were going to be able to pay it off as soon as the money started rolling in. And of course, there's always more things to pay for, and you get a bit like, oh, but I've got a, I've got a credit card now, so I can use it on other things too. And that's kind of what the attitude I had. It was very risk taker. Didn't realize it back then. I was always like, <laughs> I think if I have one fault, and I have many, but if there's one fault, if nothing else, it's unfailing, sometimes naive optimism <laughs> with what I can achieve, almost uh, aggrandizing, you know, my potential. Um, especially when it come to, came to fixing money situation. Um, I was very reckless. You know, unfortunately, I, I got myself into a bit of debt. And so in the last six to seven months, I took out a debt agreement, not realizing that the debt agreement uh, places actually don't always have your best interests at heart. Um, it's essentially a bankruptcy for those of you who are not familiar with the debt agreement. And it really actually, I only found this out like in the last couple of weeks. It's actually really only beneficial for people who have a lot of assets, you know, or a high income and need to protect those things so they're not repossessed or whatever. But it's essentially part of the Bankruptcy Act. So, you know, all this sort of, <laughs> the stage was set a long, long, long time ago. And I'm talking about in my teens for the potential pattern and eventual outcome of my impulsivity, however well-intended, that I now know is partially, if not mostly, related to bipolar. Uh, Unfortunately, on top of the debt agreement, which, you know, was fairly reasonable, even though it's still a dig into my regular income, took out a bad credit loan just to survive another month, be able to put food on the table, uh, pay my bills, and, you know, and I thought, fuck, I'll be able to pay up my phone and do all these things, and you know, I'll, I'll get ahead that way and, and then I'll be able to pay this debt back. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case and silly, crazy, optimistic me, overconfident, kind of screwed things up and, you know, I fell into arrears. You know, despite changing a lot of the everyday spending habits out of necessity, I fell into this habit of needing loans to buy myself more time. Um, it became a never-ending cycle. It still is kind of a cycle that I'm now finding it difficult to escape Unfortunately, a lot of those uh, decisions were probably made during mania, either induced by stress, I think about it now, or, you know, just when I'm thinking, things are good, I can do this, I can do this, and that overconfidence that hypermania can sometimes give you. Um, So you end up being impulsive and risk-taking, even when you're trying to meet your obligations responsibly. Fuck, I can't tell you the amount of times I've paid all my bills at once, going, yes, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it, especially if there's a extra income, and then I go, oh fuck, I've got nothing left to buy groceries or nothing to put away for rent. And it's been a real problem. I've really tried to work hard to try and fix it, and it leaves you feeling like a complete piece of shit. You know, 
I think impulsivity is one of those problems we hear about so much with bipolar, um, not just with money, but just in like terms of, you know, especially if there's at the, at the time that the hypermania presents, you know, hypersexuality, you know, making bad decisions, risky sex, that sort of thing. People who, you know, go and drink too much and they really go over the top, that lack of impulse control, which, you know, alcohol will just make that much worse. So yeah, you know, all that sort of thing, but particularly money trouble. I mean, I feel like financial stress is probably one of the most stressful things any human, regardless of mental illness, neurotypicality, or neurodiversity. It's one of the most stressful situations. You always see on those bankruptcy sites, uh, people talking about getting a good night's sleep after you figure it out. And it's like, well... I can fucking empathize with that because that shit does keep me up at night. It's incredibly stressful. It makes you feel fairly worthless. It makes you feel like the biggest fucking sack of shit on the planet. And it leads to those emotions cycling a lot. You end up cycling more often when you're under stress from external factors, let alone if everything was fine. You know, you... We, we know as bipolar people, we, we cycle sometimes for no reason other than our brain chemistry doing its thing. And unfortunately, yeah, like this ongoing cycle of bad debt and, you know, financial stress and really trying hard to, to fix it uh, has led to a lot of my cycling over the last two years, a lot of the depression. You know, there's been times where I've thought, fuck, I just, just should just kill myself, honestly, like to get out of this shit. I obviously know there's a better way and I'm never going to fucking let money uh, be the reason that I would do something like that. You know, I've got too much to live for and I do know that, but it's hard not to have those thoughts. Again, that topic is coming up, suicide ideation. I keep putting it off because it's, I don't want everything to be so fucking grim, but it is going to come up and we'll talk about the why and the how and all that stuff. Because for those of you who don't know, if you haven't got bipolar, you will not be able to comprehend just how casually and how often those thoughts come up. Even if you don't plan on anything, it just it's just always in the back of your mind. Um, I know it is for me and it, it, it's it's just, it's awful. It's really horrible. But then you, you feel like you have these episodes where you're fo- so hyper-focused on how shit you're doing with money it almost justifies the shit ideation thoughts, you know. But here's the thing, guys. With bipolar, it's... I mean, once we realize there's a problem, the responsibility comes back to us. But it, it, at the heart of it, it's not 100% our fault. It's important people understand that a lot of the cause behind, uh, you know, bipolar impulsivity and the spending specifically has to do with the makeup of our brains. There's been a lot of studies on bipolar people to indicate that and I'm going to try and read this correctly, the ventromedial prefrontal cortex. So the prefrontal cortex is responsible, uh, if I'm not mistaken, for your decision-making and for managing risk and uh, reward. You know, basically, um, decision-making and impulse, okay? And assessing, yeah, assessing that risk. So basically these studies showed that the um, ventromedial aka the front and middle parts of the prefrontal cortex uh, were basically lit up like you know fourth of july fireworks they were much more active than other neurotypical brains during any kind of risk uh, risk versus reward kind of um, decision making and it seemed that those people with bipolar or you know similar um neurological 
neurological, what's the word I want to look for? Similar neurological pathways. And I don't know if that's correct, but uh, they basically have a greater inclination towards risky behaviors versus safe ones. Like if there's a chance for a bet that they know they're going to win versus a more risky one during in a gambling or like in roulette or, you know, poker, they're probably going to go for the more risky bet because it, there's that higher dopamine release, that higher reward that comes of it. Um, it's related to pleasure seeking and satisfaction. Um, in a way that it perfectly mirrors the polarity of bipolar cycles on the neurological level. Basically, that we're pretty much all or nothing, especially in hypermanic uh, episodes, but even as fairly baseline. I mean, and not only that, I mean, if you think about the emotional effect of spending, uh, again, not just on bipolar people, but on regular people, it's a very emotional act, you know, to spend money, you know, when we're really not ready to do the hard work and all the soul searching and self-analysis, it fills that need. It gives us some self-gratification. It's in a way, it's cheap. And I say that with quotations marks. It's spending money is like a cheap therapy. And and I mean that very ironically because, you know, a lot of us fucking go on Amazon or go to the shops, blow too much money and go, oh shit, we're fucked. Um, <laughs> I can actually say in my case, that hasn't been the case for quite some time because I, the only thing I'm buying myself these days on a weekly basis is pretty much a vape and maybe a six pack or a fucking a bottle of a drink because it's like the only thing that's giving me much pleasure at the moment. Yeah, but if you, and if you think about how like salespeople actually get in and upsell people and, you know, who are only coming in to buy one thing, but the person actually acquiesces and buys the thing that's being peddled to them. It's because they create emotional needs and by buying into it through a a combination of, you know, feeling shit about yourself and someone else telling you this, like implying essentially that this is going to make you feel better. It just, it, it, it really becomes this emotionally like pleasurable thing when you spend money. So if you are, and I feel like that has an influence on bipolar impulsivity, but then it has this cycling effect of you do it because it feels good and it feels good because you do it and it just keeps going round and round. So you start, you keep, if it's unchecked, it keeps us acting impulsively um, and spending impulsively. So yeah, it's, it's really tricky. And I think it's really important to note, I mean, there are really no hard and fast solutions to this. It's really important that we just, we understand how our spending and our impulsivity in not just on spending, but you know, let's just, let's keep it about money, but we're talking really at the heart of it about impulsivity, how our impulsive actions and decisions affect other people. You know, at the time, because I was doing things for the family in my mind, I mean, it gave me pleasure to be generous, but really I wasn't thinking about the impact it was having on my family, the the financial stress that I was uh, kind of ignorant to because I, I didn't handle the majority of the day-to-day funds like paying bills and the rent. I was kind of just going, my money's extra money and I'm going to go and spend things on you guys. And like, I, like it really was well intended. I can't emphasize that enough. But, you know, we don't always sense the impact. You know, we don't realize that when we're buying someone an overly extravagant gift that we're being really stupid. We, it doesn't occur to us, and it's only when people tell us that, you know, we really recognize it. Unfortunately, and I know this is true of me, but I've heard it on other pi- bipolar podcasts. I've heard it from other friends who uh, experience issues with um, 
impulsivity in general, but yeah, are also bipolar. Um, they really, they don't react well. We don't react well when we're confronted on it because we feel like we're kind of just being slapped in the face or judged or criticized. And I can actually see there's a point with this one. Like it's kind of a tricky one because you know, if we're left unchecked and no one says anything, then we just fuck our lives up and the lives of those people around us, especially if we have dependents or partners. So it is a tricky one. You know, when we're in honest relationships, we hope that the person will be able to talk, we're able to talk to each other and hopefully um, come to some kind of, you know, mutual ground and where the bipolar person understands the effect of their actions and they try to change the behaviors. Um, you can't get around the neurological stuff, but we can certainly do our best to try and mitigate the behavior. But there's also that fact of, I think when we're confronted or it's very judgmental, and I'll be honest, at the time when I was going through this and started in hindsight to see my ex sort of, uh, you know, getting upset with me for reckless spending, there was a lot of judgment that I felt. I don't know if it was intended, but for me, I felt it very strongly and it put me on the back foot. I just, and then I was in fucking denial about it. So I think, you know, I think what we need to do guys, when it comes to money and when it comes to our impulsive behavior, there's a few strategies that I have tried um, that are fairly, they're fairly generic to be honest. I mean, there's really not a lot we can do or that other people can do for us. But this is the important one. And if you're a bipolar supporter, listen up. Because if you don't want your loved one to get on the back foot, uh, but you still want to hold us accountable and to help us change our negative behavior, um, this is what I think is really important. Our support network really needs to be supportive. Like, understand that we're not doing it to be shit. Most of the time, we're probably not even spending the money on ourselves. And if we are, like... I mean, fuck, people spend money on themselves because, you know, it feels good, as we talked about, that emotional reaction, but it's also because, like, say, for instance, they manage to live in the regular world working really hard, but they still have bipolar and they, you know, they feel like they deserve a reward. I mean, everyone likes to feel like they can have something at the end of it. So there's got to be some level of reward for us, you know, just like anybody else. But at the same time, we have to understand that make sure the reward we've got to make sure that we're living realistically and within our means all right you know sometimes when i was spending back when i was was quite well off at one point you know i was fucking buying a new video game and a bunch of books and new clothes all in one week and i mean this is many many years ago and it was very silly of me it was very very silly of me and I'm ashamed to say that, like, even in my worst days, like, I, I mean, I really struggle to ask for help now. I, 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 there's something about my pride and the dignity or lack thereof involved in asking someone for help, even when it's for something. Like, when I moved house, my, um, my real estate was selling my old apartment from underneath me, and I was pretty sure it wasn't going to be bought by an investor. So I had to move, and they had a place around the corner um, that was basically only $80 extra a month. Um, but I had to move pretty much within the fortnight. So I had to crowdfund that. And more than, I mean, it was amazing how many people were willing to help me. And it actually made me feel very loved and supported because they could see that I'm really trying to fix my life, trying to get my uh, creative career up and running, that I'm doing the best I can, basically. And unfortunately, you know, there's a combination of bad mistakes many years ago, um, some more recent, and then also just the just bad luck, I guess. You know, it happens to anyone. And I think here's point number two. 
um, is that we have to go a bit easier on ourselves. And and likewise with, you know, having a support network that's there to support us and call us out in our shit, but not be completely confrontational or judgmental about it. We also need to extend that to ourselves. We need to be able to give ourselves a fucking break and say, look, you fucked up, take it in your stride and move on. Now, we can't constantly doing that. Like at the end of the day, if we're still doing the same shit and expecting a different result or expecting other people to keep supporting us, that's not fair on anyone. That's really not fair. I mean, I'm sure I'm guilty of it too. Um, I try not to repeat those behaviors. I try to fix it. I'm sure most of us do try, you know, and we fucking fail. That's, it just happens. But be kind to yourself. Show yourself some self-love, you know. You're doing the best you can and it ain't fucking easy, especially in this economy. And last thing of all, I suppose this is probably the most pragmatic, and I almost wish this had been the second point, because the other point had a bit more gravity to it. But if you are going to, feeling like you're in a bit of a manic episode, either refrain from spending money or take a limited amount of money out with you, or since we all seem to take cards and have access to our bank accounts on our phones, if you think you're about to go blow, say, more than 20 bucks, you know, and I, I mean, I don't know, This is I'm just throwing an arbitrary number out there, because 20 bucks isn't really that a, a lot in my eyes. If you think you're going to spend on something that you know is fucking frivolous, even if it makes you feel good and you convince yourself you need it, if it's more than 20 bucks, fucking delay it. Delay any purchase, especially if you can think about where you're at. Think about what's motivating you to spend. And if you can identify you're tipping towards the hypermanic or manic scale, it might be better to delay your purchases. Um, And that way, you, you know, it's kind of like that whole ideation thing. Give yourself another day. That purchase ain't going anywhere, more than likely. And, you know, more often than not, I think you'll wake up and go, fuck, I'm glad I didn't do that. The amount of times when I've gone out on a night out and I've partied a little bit and I'm like, fuck, it's going to be a big one. But then I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to have a huge one. And gone home. And not only has my wallet thanked me, but my head is at the end of it has, has thanked me for not going bananas. You have to psych yourself up and delay, you know, delay those decisions. But when you do and then you're at the, you know, come full circle, you're always thankful for it. Yeah, I don't know how helpful this would have been for people because I don't really have a lot of pragmatic advice. It was a lot about me talking about my history. My purpose with this podcast was just to let people know that for those of us experiencing this kind of you know financial difficulty and wondering why the fuck it's constantly going on, I mean, this is just this is a very common experience for bipolar people, and you're not alone. And you shouldn't feel like a loser because you have so much more worth. We have so many good values we have so much love to give and so much enthusiasm for life and that's part of the problem we have a little bit too much sometimes but on to the lighter side of bipolar and spending with bipolar as i said you know that my spending has gotten me into trouble in the past but i will not take back any of it for the world because certainly when i was younger you know, I mean, you can say, you know, a lot of your friends, especially true friends, wouldn't expect you to spend money. They wouldn't sponge off you. And they didn't. They were often telling me, don't spend the money. But I went and did it anyway. I'd be that guy at the bar buying drinks, making friends. And a lot of those people are still my friends. You know, that generous nature, that friendliness, that, you know, treating everyone like a brother that has come naturally to me and now I realize is probably part of my bipolar has open so many doorways and I've, I mean, you know, even when I've come full circle and I'm having trouble and I'm no longer that guy at the bar that's able to shout everyone, you know, a lot of that karma is coming back to me. And, you know, when I was struggling and needing a place to live or even just having trouble with some bills, I've had more than a few mates 
you know, I don't want to mention any names, but there's a few really solid mates out there who have really helped me out, shown a lot of love, and that kind of love comes full circle. Because if you think about the spirit behind that overspenditure, that impulsivity when it comes to money, um, it is well intended and it's done in the spirit of fraternity, of love, of care, of wanting everyone to have as much fun as you. So I don't take that. I mean, I'll, I'll take the bad with that because that to me is a pretty cool character trait to have. Generosity and care for my fellow man. A lot of love. Anyway, guys, that's it for this week. I hope that wasn't too garbled. I did free ball a lot of this uh, this particular topic. Um, so if if there's a bit, a bit rambly, I apologize. Uh, but I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope for those of you who are in a similar situation to me, you feel seen and you feel cared about because you definitely are. We're not losers. We are awesome, awesome people. And as long as we keep working hard to try and keep this shit in check, it's never going to go away completely, but if we can work hard to try and keep it in check, uh, there's no reason we can't still be generous and caring spenders, you know. I'll see you next time, guys. And as always, let's keep walking the edge together. See you next time.